Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober. This season is sponsored by Luna, who offer holistic therapy courses that you can study from the comfort of your own home. Please visit their website www.lunacourses.com for more information. I'm Alex, one half of the Sober Experiment. And I'm Lisa, the other half. Hello, my lovely best friend, Lisa. Hello, my lovely best friend, Alex. Can we just be honest with you here, right? This is the third <laughs> take on our introduction, right? And it's not because we keep getting it wrong, because as you know, we don't edit anything. We just don't know how to speak anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've lost our minds and we've ran out of conversation. <laughs> We're bored of each other. No, we're not. We're genuinely not. It's just, we're struggling. And I think it is because there's not much happening in real, real, real life at the moment. And I'm sure when lockdown finishes and we can get out together and we can experience the wild. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. I agree. I think that's what it is. I think there's just nothing happening. So we can't talk about anything because honestly, guys, we have done nothing. We really haven't. Except... Of course, some of our live events that have been happening in the Be Sober group, which we're really, really proud of. And not only proud of, but we're so like grateful to the people that have done them and to the people in Be Sober for joining them. And we really feel everybody's benefited from as well, don't we? Yeah, definitely. So we've had like, I did a coaching one. Joe did a fitness one. Joe nearly killed everybody, actually, if we're honest. <laughs> yeah, she did. She did. But then we had last week, Breathe with Esther, which was so lovely. I didn't actually attend, I'll be absolutely honest. Um, and Lisa's giving me a funny look now as I say, why are you even talking about it? Because you weren't <laughs> well, it there. It was a lovely event, but I wasn't there. <laughs> well, the reason I know it was lovely is because of the feedback that I've had from coaching clients and from people in the group who've actually said... It was a lovely event, like dead relaxing. Yeah, it was really nice. I think it's nice sometimes you think when there's a Zoom event that you've got to turn up and think of things to say or talk. Like this. And yeah, (laughs) and and you actually don't. So when we've had things like the Breathe with Esther and we've got an introduction to yoga with Rachel, it's actually not about what you're putting in, it's what you're getting from it. So you can kind of turn up, not be worried about what to say or what Mm. to do and just kind of enjoy it. And you know what? You don't even have have to come in the zoom it's nice yeah. when people do because it's nice for the person hosting it to see who's there and yeah. kind of get that interaction but um they're live in the group as well so you know it's not a necessity that you come to the zoom it's there but yeah they've been really lovely and esther's actually going to come on our podcast next season so hopefully we'll have a bit more of that and oh what a lovely something. lovely woman she was and, yeah. and she taught us all how to breathe so you think you know how to do it but actually we didn't oh what you didn't know how to breathe no not properly did you do all that abdominal stuff no we breathed in our nose and everything. you should have come shouldn't you should you just keep but, mouth breathing? No, but can I tell you? Can I, tell, I will with my coffee breath now. That's it. I'm not having chewing gum all day for that. No, but do you know? I did actually try to come to that one. Do you know that? Yeah, no, we're early. An hour early, yeah. And then message me. Will, will you not do stuff like that? Like messaging me and I were early. But is there a problem? It's not gone live into the group, and I'm like, oh. why didn't you answer then? Because I were busy setting everything up, and I'm not. Bowing to your every need. I honestly was sat in the group thinking, why ain't it live? Why ain't it live? Because I knew I couldn't register because it was like my littlest bedtime. So I was thinking, why is it not live? And then I realised I'd gone up to 
bed an hour early with him. I was actually asleep by five past eight <laughs> on a Friday night. I really was. We went upstairs. We watched Peter Pan Disney. I let him sleep in my bed on a really like weak parenting. I didn't sleep at five past eight if I'd have had to watch that. Oh, he loved it. It was so lovely. Anyway, so yeah, it's been a it's been a wonderful way for people to connect, even though I haven't been part of that connection, <laughs> hasn't it? Yes, it has. And speaking of connection, today's guest is Lucy Rucker. Yes, we've got Lucy on. So Lucy, um, self-admittedly, drank too much alcohol for 22 years before finally deciding back in 2012. See, it wasn't in even in our minds to stop drinking then. So she's like a legend. It's, it's mad and there was not much around, was there then? No, there wasn't. But yeah, in 2012, she decided that it might be a good idea to not drink anymore. So um, following that lifestyle change, she set up the website Soberist com, and this is for people who had an unhealthy relationship with booze and were looking for non-judgmental support and solidarity in getting and staying alcohol free. In its first year, Soberistas attracted, do you know how many people it attracted in its first year? No, because do you know what? I was really rubbish on this one and didn't even realise that Lucy had sent us information, so I apologise Lucy for the Oh, misunderstanding get about many books. we're playing a game all right wants your apologies come on she might want my apology <laughs> not her <laughs> um for in the first year yeah. uh two thousand people 20,000 people no way. in the first year. It now has over 65,000 people from all over the world making up its lively community. So Lucy, much to our surprise, has ha- actually written five books. This is a bit I was apologising for everyone because I thought it was three, genuinely five five books all on the topic of quitting drinking and continues to work as an editor and director of the Soberistas website she's also a life sober coach specializing in quitting drinking and rebuilding self-esteem which we talk a lot about today um, she offers one-to-one online support to people looking for extra help in ditching the drink when she isn't working because she does a flipping lot like how does she have time for anything else? When she's else? not working when she's asleep. <laughs> yeah well actually when she's She's not working. She loves running, family time, music, her dogs, cooking and eating newfangled healthy stuff and watching box sets. Hey, she has time for any of that. I do not know, but here's Lucy. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. We're very excited to speak to you about all sorts of things. <laughs> Hi, thank you very much. <laughs> well, I'm really interested in actually going straight in with a big interview question if I'm honest because your one of your books um was part of my journey and it was your first one um Sober Revolution and you did you didn't do that on your own though did you that one uh no with Sarah Turner so we co-wrote that one yeah so I I listened to that on audio right back at the beginning of my sobriety and it was one of the things I hadn't realised at that point that you had soberistas or anything. I just was looking for Quitlet, found the book, listened to the book, then met Kate and Mandy from Love Sober, then found out that you were the founder of Soberistas. So it's a little bit kind of confusing way of getting to the point of, could you tell us a little bit about your books and how that even started and then about yeah. Soberistas. Yeah, okay. So um 
So Sobristers is, uh, tomorrow actually, is our eighth birthday. Oh, wow. Happy birthday. Thank you. So, yes, we launched Sobristers in 2012, uh, which just seems like a lifetime ago now. And I met Sarah because Sarah was working at the time, well, she still is as an addictions therapist, Mm -hmm. and she read about Sobristers in the in a newspaper um, and contacted me because she recognised that we were kind of reaching out to a similar audience, that being women who were drinking a bottle of wine every night and not kind of wanting to go to AA, I suppose, in a nutshell, yeah, <laughs> was yeah. our sort of target audience. Um, and that was very much who Sarah, you know, her client base is basically that. So she sort of got in touch with me. We met in Leeds, had a coffee, got on and decided to write a book together because we kind of, well, there wasn't really any books then apart from Jason Vale and Alan Carr, that was it. And there was nothing really that was specifically aimed at that kind of, you know, middle middle ground drinking and women particularly. So that was where where the book came from. Soberistas really came from, I suppose, the same place that when I stopped drinking, there wasn't any help that... I wanted that would have been relevant to me that that appealed or seemed you know in any way targeted at me so I decided to make my own which was where Soberistas came from. And it's massive now isn't it Soberistas I mean it's it's really it's very busy there's 65 I think it was 65,000 registered members now. Wow. Like, I don't know how I missed Soberistas. Like, I I stopped drinking about uh, just under two and a half years ago. And for some reason, I just seemed to miss out (laughs) on Soberistas. So everyone I've spoken to is like, oh, we met on Soberistas. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) I think we, I mean, we had a lot of press in the first like because when I launched Soberistas, there wasn't anything else like that around. Yeah. So we got in sort of 2012 to 2015, we got huge amounts of press, you know, This Morning, BBC News, Vogue, L, <laughs> Red Magazine, you know, like loads of kind of big publications. And that was really sort of how we got all, you know, that was how people found out about us. But obviously as the area has grown in terms of you know other people offering different resources over the years then our publicity is you know is kind of lessened I suppose. Which so what is it that Soberistas offers people then? So it is in a nutshell a social network site like Mumsnet really just for worried binge drinkers and that's it so anybody who has a problematic relationship with alcohol who wants to try and resolve that is the criteria to join you know there's no kind of prescriptive method of you know you've got to do this you've got to do that you've got to be 100% sober you've got to you know it's a journey I think for people to travel along at their own pace and Soberistas provides a sort of social network context for them to be able to do that without being judged you know in a supportive place meet other people get advice post blogs read other people's blogs chat in the chat room that's it it's very simple really but it's it's kind of worked I think because it's that it's that connection, isn't it, that people need with other people who get it? Definitely. And that, that's what I was just going to say, actually. Am I right in thinking that people write blogs on there? Because I know Julia Carson, 
um, she start, she her book baby came about because of blogging on Soberista. Yeah. Kate yeah. Mandy Love Sober came about because yeah. of Soberistas. And when whenever we speak to them, because we've we've formed quite good friendships with all three now. Um, Julia in particular, she's a member of Be Sober Social Group, so she she doesn't right. meet up when we're not in COVID pandemics. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we met everybody and all the time like Lisa said it was yeah yeah we did this on Soberista so I kind of came like I say I, I knew about you because of the book but when I mentioned to Lisa like she was like oh I can't believe that I've missed out on this because, <laughs> yeah because you you really got sober in a women's way didn't you really you know with your books and your quitlet and yeah definitely yeah, yeah. I, I must yeah. have gone back a few years because like I read Alan Carr <laughs> so I'm like really late to this party <laughs> well the other one who the other one who came from Soberistas is Claire Pooley with the same yeah. she was a blogger on Soberistas as well and that was you know that that was her sort of journey too which became the Sober Diaries which is obviously huge so it has sort of spawned this a lot of you know a lot of amazing new resources that have all kind of come out of Soberistas which is amazing really. you're like the godmother of sobriety yeah <laughs> yeah that's what it is you're the godmother I know you must be so proud of yourself to kind of sit back and then just see everybody flourish it must be amazing it is really nice it's it's kind of um you know I think when I set Soberistas up my only intention because it was never even going to be kind of a, a business you know it was I didn't know how busy you know how popular it was going to be so it was free for the first year and a half it was just it wasn't even something that I did as a job um but the only thing that I wanted to do when I set so bristles up was to create this this safe space where people could just be honest about the shit they'd done when they were drinking and that's all I wanted I wanted to be able to say I've, you know, had this horrific night where I've done X, Y, Z and I hate myself and somebody to say, oh God, I've done that too. You know, it's all right, you'll get better. And it, that was it. It was just that. It wasn't even an idea that this is going to help people stop drinking. I had no idea how big it was going to be. Certainly I had no idea it was going to go on and on and on for years like it has done. Um, but yeah, so all of the stuff that's happened as a consequence has happened quite organically because of the people on Soberistas, because they're just amazing. It's it's a really positive, friendly, supportive place full of lovely, lovely people, which, you know, I can't take credit for, but has been really lovely to watch that develop over the years. So can we ask you about some of the shit you did when you were doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you can. <laughs> so my... my my shit was very much just a transformative, I suppose, from party girl, ostensibly, you know, happy shit, <laughs> going out with your mates, getting pissed, having a laugh, uh, to kind of quite sinister, not so happy shit, which, you know, is, is kind of a common story, I suppose. The big, the big event in the middle of all that that changed it, I think, was my divorce when I was really young I was only 27 only been married for four years but it, it totally changed my relationship with drinking and I started at that point drinking to self-medicate mm. and that was when it hit the fan you know quite catastrophically for sort of eight years and I was um ugh, awful I mean terrible things when I look back you know that I just can't believe I did, and I can't believe I got away with it either. You know, some of the risky situations that I put myself in, going home with complete strangers, waking up in people's houses, I didn't know where I was. 
you know, obviously the last night I drank, I ended up in hospital and didn't even know how I'd got there. Um, it was all just, you know, a complete car crash. Uh, and, you know, now when I look back, it's like it, it was it was another person. It was just like it happened to somebody else. It's not me. You know, it was, it was pretty scary stuff. So was it your marriage breakdown that kind of changed your relationship with alcohol? Would you say that was like the trigger or was it? That was the trigger, yeah. Because, and, and people... Because I've, I've said this a lot about being a single parent, it lends itself to destructive drinking so much because you're on your own every night, the kids go to bed at 7, 8 o'clock, you sat there on your own, lonely and depressed, and then every other weekend or every weekend the kids go to dad and you can go out and party again. So that was what my life was. It was drinking wine Monday to Friday on my own, feeling sorry for myself. And then my daughter would go to her dad's at the weekend and I'd be going clubbing again and reliving my youth and getting absolutely hammered. You know, and then, I mean, it was just, that was basically what I did for eight years. It was horrendous, really. We've both been there, haven't oh, we? Me for not as long because I actually, my relationship overlapped um, and then I ended up moving in with my now husband probably about three years but I did have a three year of children going to the dad same pattern Um, I didn't I didn't actually weirdly drink in the week but that was just because my hangovers have always been they've put me in a critical state and I say I know that's how I felt like I I couldn't but if I hadn't had the um, hangovers one yeah, I would have been doing because I was bored you're lonely you're bored yeah you're lonely bored yeah and then friends came round as well with bottles of wine to cheer you up you know you get like your well-meaning girlfriends coming round because you're going through a divorce with a couple of bottles of wine and some ring on the Ann Summers party and all oh, that yes. <laughs> <laughs> in our society that is what people do isn't it to cheer you up when you're going through a crisis yeah. and the wine round let's have a chat so that very much became a crutch and and I think because it was a different sort of um, culture then, there wasn't really the awareness that it was actually that bad to binge drink your way through life. I think a lot of people did it and didn't even think there was anything wrong with it. So I never sort of thought, oh, this is terrible. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I think the sort of, some of the consequences of my drinking, like meeting horrible men, getting dragged into awful relationships with people, you know, dangerous situations to put myself in. That worried me, but I never really associated that with the drink, if, if that makes sense. I just thought that was kind of stuff that was going on. It's only now when I look back that obviously it was because I was completely shit-faced all the time. I didn't know what I was doing. It's been happening for years, though, this, hasn't it? Like, I look back when I was... 17, 18, going out drinking. I remember a group of, uh, there must have been around 40 these women. And um, me and my friend, friends used to be like, oh, but I hope I'm not like that when I'm 40 because they'd be drunk singing I Will Survive on karaoke, going on with um, our mate lads. And we were like, oh my God. Then roll on, we get 40. And, and we all ended up, well, they were more 30s. 30s but, late 30s, yeah, and we all ended up kind of doing the same thing. And I remember the realisation of, oh my God, I'm like, them women from yeah. number nine. <laughs> it's kind of like a little, it's a little connection to your youth, isn't it, for a lot yeah. of people. You know, you like have a drink, let your hair down. It's like being 25 again. You forget all your responsibilities. You forget all your worries. It's That's the draw of it. That's what keeps people drinking in that way. But it's so normalised in our society that it's it, it's only sort of recently, I think, that people have started to actually, a lot more people have started to question it and think it's not. 
it's not really a good way to live your life. And the other thing is as well, like you sort of touched on a second ago, when you're a binge drinker, you don't think I've got alcohol problem or I've got alcohol dependency because you're not getting up and pouring wine out with your cornflakes and stuff like that. You're always looking sideways and saying they're an alcoholic, I'm not. But it's actually, in many ways, it's worse, I think, because it's that big release. You go wild. And I used to get myself, same as you, in some ridiculous situation. You did. All right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I used to get myself in some terrible situations, you know, like just because you think, oh, I deserve this. I deserve this treat. And then before you know it, you're waking up and you're thinking, God, what have I done? Yeah. And you don't know, I don't think you always necessarily link how rubbish life feels and how low your self-esteem is and how much you hate yourself with the fact that you're drinking like that. You know, I just thought that was me. I just thought I was depressed. I was, you know, low self-esteem, didn't really, had a rubbish life, rubbish job, rubbish relationships. I never kind of put that with the fact that it was because I was drinking and I kept making all these awful decisions when I was drunk. That's why I had that life. You know what I'd love to know, Lucy? How did you stop? Well, I have to, you know, in all honesty, I can't claim that I had this amazing sort of, you know, set of strategies or sober toolkit that I was really kind of, you know, committed to. I stopped because I was scared to live in bejesus out of myself because I woke up in hospital and had absolutely no idea how I'd got there, covered in my own sick at three o'clock in the morning and was absolutely, utterly terrified. And that fear stayed with me for a very long time and got me through the first, well, the first two years, I would say, of not drinking. Because any time I even thought about drinking, I immediately thought about that moment of waking up in hospital and thought, I can't, I'm not putting myself there again. I was truly terrified. And by the time I kind of came out of that fear, um, I'd had a baby then I read Jason Vale's book how to kick the drink easily because I was still sort of harboring thoughts of "Hmm, maybe I could have a drink now that I've not drunk for a year and a half um that totally changed my life that made me see it in a completely different way um and then I set Soberistas up and Soberistas has been a huge part of my sobriety in that you know being constantly in touch with people who were going through what I went through and seeing them struggle and seeing them find this amazing new life through not drinking has kept me sober. So it's, it was really, you know, a series of things, but I'd say the most, the most sort of important thing was that absolute rock bottom and the fear that came out of that. I was terrified to drink. Yeah. just couldn't have gone near it again. Did you ever manage to get the pieces back from like friends or, you know, do you, do you know what happened to you at that point? Well, the only thing I know what happened, the only point I know about what happened is about sort of, I know I'd sort of bought, I'd had two bottles of wine in the house. I'd had a shit day at work. I was in a really sort of totally pressed off distrust, knocked back two bottles of wine very quickly over maybe like an hour and a half, a couple of hours and drunk two bottles of wine. My daughter was at a dad's, so I was on my own again um and and then I went up to the shop Tesco's to get a bottle of wine one more bottle of wine but they had to buy one get one free so I bought two bottles of wine and then I found a bottle of cider in the back in the back of my fridge that had been there so I didn't even like cider so I drank that as well so 
I can kind of, I, I, le- I sort of lose my memory of the whole thing at about nine, ten o'clock. But what I do know happened is that I went and took the dog out for a wee and I, and I need to have a fag at about ten o'clock and I passed out on the pavement and was throwing up and my friend drove past and found my dog running around on the road with its lead on, um, me not holding the lead and me lying on the floor throwing up unconscious so he called an ambulance so I know that bit because he told me what happened um but I can't remember any of that then I remember going to Tesco's to buy that bottle of wine and I remember the next thing was waking up in hospital at three o'clock in the morning and then I basically just went home and cried for about a week <laughs> oh bless you I'm so sorry I've got the worst pins and needles in but if I stood up now I would literally oh, no, no. we don't normally do it in, in the bedroom <laughs> doing that sounds a bit weird but <laughs> nothing goes on in this bedroom <laughs> but um, yeah we sat on the floor and my pins and needles I'm really saying weird. my left leg's gone no, we need to from this yeah we do <laughs> anyway but you know like when you're talking about that blackout situation and then coming round oh. and then you know living the next couple of years with fear so that's keeping you off the drink but really then what you touched upon is not dealing with the actual mindset around the addiction until two years a year eight year and a half later whatever do you think yeah. that mindset is a massively important thing to keep you sober Yes, and I think at that point, what got me, then what carried me through the next phase was running. So like, I really absolutely firmly believe you've got to find the thing that gives you that escape or that release from stress, you know, a rubbish day at work, boredom, whatever it is, you've got to find that thing that for me is running or surfing when I can go surfing or skiing or, you know, but it's that that physical exercise, that adrenaline rush, it's that that does it for me. It's also working on your self-esteem and facing your demons, which I did a hell of a lot of and went through years of counselling and, you know, forgiving myself for the horrible things I've done when I was drunk, kind of working on my confidence, working on why I hated myself so much, lots of trauma when I was younger that I'd not dealt with, that I kind of worked through and processed. So all of that stuff came much later on, sort of three, four, five years into not drinking, um, but was totally, absolutely essential. Yeah. It's a common theme, isn't it, that the shame and trauma for women that get them into that vicious yeah. circle in the first place. Have you got anything... Th- this is a really weird question. If you say no, it's going to be a conversation stopper. <laughs> Have you got any kind of theories about, you know, women's drinking and being linked to trauma, stress? Have you got any ideas why you think women are? Yeah, I mean, I, I have, absolutely. I mean, I do I do sort of uh, life coaching and um, work with most people I work with is stopping drinking. So it's something that I'm, you know, I work with lots and lots of people about shame and it's a really, really common theme. And I really do think with women, it's very different to men. I think women internalise emotional pain. They self-destruct. When women don't like themselves and women have gone through trauma, they internalise it and that's self-destruction. So for me, that was an eating disorder. It was drugs. It was drinking. It was promiscuity. You know, it was it was all of those things. I was hurting myself. And the more I hurt myself, the more I hated myself. The more I hated myself, the more I wanted to hurt myself. Men tend to externalise emotional pain. The 
punch a wall or shout or have a fight or you know women don't they're quiet and it goes in and and that's the really destructive thing yeah I was asked a question yesterday about the difference between men and women's drinking and one of my theories is that women will recognize the problem before they actually hit I mean it's not everybody but before they actually hit rock rock bottom as in in a prison cell arrested you know whereas men will go for help once they've hit that rock bottom. so I think that 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 kind of goes some way towards explaining why every sober kind of group you look at tends unless it's AA tends to be mainly women members I mean we only have like 15 percent men don't yeah we? we do yeah yeah we've got 10 percent men yeah it's a, it's a, it's an interesting yeah. thing of like, I think I might look at that one day but yeah I think most of the men that we deal with have been through detox or recovery through a 12 yeah yeah but I guess even with women and even with like you know the books that you write and kind of the you know the forgiving yourself it 12 steps feeds into that doesn't it even though it's not formalized yeah, some of it. I mean, the connection, definitely. There's lots of the 12 steps that I can't get along with. I don't believe that we are, you know, uh, flawed and, we've, and we need to sort of, uh, you know, I can't cope with all of that. We're not. <laughs> we're human yeah, beings and, we're de- you know, we're, we're going through life and, and shit happens and, and we're trying to make the best of a bad situation and sometimes we get it wrong. That's not being flawed. That's not, you know, and I don't believe in having to go around apologising for your misdemeanours and as if, you know, capping down and asking for forgiveness. We're damaged people when we're doing those things and we're going through a really, really tough time and that's why we're doing those things. It's not because we're a bad person. And the last thing you need when you're trying to stop drinking is to give yourself that label of, you know, being a bad person and you've got to let go of that shame and completely forgive yourself. So, yeah, I think, but there are some things. I think the serenity prayer, I I dig that. I think there's a lot of sense in that, you know, accept what you can, what you can't change, change the stuff you can change. And that's definitely like a sort of mantra that I live my life by. You know, I'll always try and improve my life where I can, but really work on acceptance of the things that I can't change. Um connection you know budding up with somebody having like a kind of sober partner to who's a bit further down the line that's what you know all sober communities offer that and that's brilliant um and maybe the higher power although I'm total atheist but I do think I do think we need to find something bigger than ourselves and I don't know what that is that's different for everybody for me it's nature it's the life I see for myself in my older years. It's where I'm heading, future me. It's, you know, it's been in the sea when I'm surfing and just being completely lost in the moment. That's, that's that higher power for me. It's not God, but I do think we need something, yeah. whatever that looks like to, to every sort of individual. But. No, I agree with that fully. What, what is life or how has life changed then? So obviously you're... So this is eight years down the line now, but how how has life changed for you? In what ways get that you can directly say that's because I get so got sober. Um, Self esteem is probably the biggest one because that is the door opener to everything else, isn't it? When you start believing in yourself and you start liking yourself, you you push yourself and you go for things instead of holding yourself back. So I've. I've not, you know, I think my life has changed so much because I'm not scared of living anymore. I just, you know, if I fancy doing something, I'll have a go at it and I'll kind of believe that I can do it. Whereas 10 years ago, 
I had no aspirations, no confidence, no self-belief. Couldn't even stand up in front of, a, you know, five people and talk. I was like a nervous wreck. Couldn't look people in the eye. I was totally full of shame and, you know, self-hatred. So that's really different because I believe in myself now and that's and I like myself. Um, and parenting, you know, really, really amazingly close relationships with my kids my little girl's eight and she's so she's never known me like I used to be so that's lovely I don't have any regrets or guilt or sad memories with her where I think oh god I wish that you know whereas my older daughter's 21 she did see me when I was in that state although that's fine now but um so yeah I think parenting self-belief and just being like having a kind of you know, the sort of journey you go on in terms of personal development and self-awareness, kind of mindfulness and meditation and just sort of being more present, emotionally aware, all of that stuff. I was, I had no idea what was, you know, I was the most kind of knee-jerk, emotionally unstable, <laughs> self-critical, negative person. I've, you know, unbelievably, and, I, and I've completely changed. I'm such a positive person. It's like a, it is like, a, I do feel like a completely different person. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how much we do change. And it doesn't matter whether it's somebody that's been having one glass of wine a night. It holds you back, doesn't it? It really feels like them changes are massive. Like they're just the norm to you now, I'd imagine. But they're massive. Look how much people do achieve when they get sober. It's still, I don't know why, it still really shocks me. (laughs) It is normal, but I don't take it, I do still sort of acknowledge it and I do really appreciate it you know like I do I am very very aware that how I live now today is absolutely not how I would be living had I carried on drinking you know there's, I don't even know if I'd be alive I probably wouldn't even be alive yeah. I'm very aware of that you know I don't forget that it's a serious it's a really really serious thing to do me and my mum work together and she's sober now as well she's just over two years which is fantastic and when we're in the office and we'll say like that's because we're sober that's because we don't drink anymore and I can see the others thinking surely not everything is down to sobriety but it is everything good that has happened is actually down we can pin it to that even finding yourself in more you know like my my I honestly don't think I would still be with my husband if I hadn't stopped drinking not because we were having any major relationship problems we weren't but just because I wasn't emotionally developed enough mm. to be able to deal with what life throws at you when you're in a relationship and the other way around oh my you, god I'd probably still be with mine that'd be terrible <laughs> <laughs> do you think you would oh yeah probably because we'd have just been Oh, I dread to even think about it, to be honest. But yeah, I probably wouldn't have found the courage to step out of it because that was our norm. We drank, I would drink even more to try and keep up with him. It was just our complete normal. So yeah, if I hadn't have stopped, I wouldn't have left, I don't think. But even like our friendship, it's we've been friends for, for 30 years. Oh, I wouldn't have been out. a friend if you'd have carried on drinking. I wouldn't have been your friend. Oh, that would have been out. <laughs> yeah, we, we, I mean, we literally spent our party years together and whether or not this is chance or universe or whatever, all our major life events happened in sync. We got divorced at the same time. We got married at the same time. We had kids around the same time. And it just means meant that the times when they were at the dad's, we'd align them. We would align our time. Yeah, yeah. Let's get the kids at the dad's this weekend and we can go out and get blasted. And we yeah. did. And how long have you not drunk for now? I'm 18 months. 
you're nearly three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would not, I say this honestly, there is no way I would have stopped drinking off my own back, even with all the things that had happened to me. I would never have made that association because my dad was alcoholic. So an alcoholic to me was my dad and I wasn't there. So no. even though all these life events were happening, had Lisa not been sober and I not got a bit curious, I don't think I'd have stopped drinking. I think I'd have gone to rock bottom, very, very yeah. easily gone to rock bottom. Because Lisa had stopped and I could see myself dipping and she could, and she was honest enough to say, why don't you try and, and quit and just give yourself a break? Yeah. But, yeah. Which is really hard, isn't it? Because we, because of what the world we live in, it, it is, it's easy if you're taking heroin to see that it's a problem. You know, everybody, if you're taking heroin, it's quite obvious, you know, I've got, I've got this terrible addiction and it's messing my life up. Drinking is really difficult because... We're surrounded by positive messages saying it's great and everybody's doing it. You know, on the, I was just telling my sister earlier on the front cover of my magazine this month for the Christmas edition of Red Magazine, it's Claudia Winkleman and it says on the front, Claudia's Christmas Day, vodka tonics and trivial pursuits. And I just thought, you know, it's like, oh, lovely, vodka tonics and trivial pursuits. It sounds so innocuous and twinkly and festive, doesn't it? And it's those little messages that stop you stopping drinking because every time you see them you think well I'm not doing anything that different Claudia Winkleman has a couple of vodka tonics that's all right then you know unless you're like on the park bench and you're really like you know on your knees it's easy to say I've not got a problem it's fine so it takes some balls really real balls to be able to say in our society this is a problem for me I don't care what everybody else is doing for me this is a problem and I think that's the key, you know, it's it's what's a problem for you. You don't, and that's what's hard to see when you're in it. You know, really as, yeah. yeah, you're always looking at everybody else. And we yeah. say this a lot. I mean, Lisa was completely on her own when she gave up drinking. She didn't have anyone. I've been incredibly lucky because I had my best friend sober to guide yeah. me. And that's what you were get, talking about before, you know, that sober buddy yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Mine's here. She's been here from the start. So yeah. it's been so a... She can tell you what to expect and how to get through this and how to manage Christmas and yeah which is what the sober communities are isn't it it's having that as somebody who's done it first to, to tell you what's coming around the corner and how to get up you know how to deal with it when I first stopped I used to phone her up and go oh you'll never believe what William Porter's book says oh she was like Alex I'm, I'm like a year ahead of you <laughs> you'll catch up one day and now we're actually on the same spiritual level eventually <laughs> we've eventually caught up and we're like at the same self-development point you're still a bit ahead of me actually I was going to say a little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you Especially like with the spiritual side of it, because I know you said before you, you're atheist and I reckon you were once. <laughs> oh, I was like completely non-believer in anything other than my own ego. Yeah. 100%. And, that, and then I'm like, and I didn't even realise what ego meant. I just like, no. I did, you know. And then now it's like, oh, Eckhart Tolle says this. And she's like, what are you? And that's like, that's like a lifelong journey of learning isn't it like you can the more you learn about that the more there is to learn you know you yeah. just like keep uncovering this stuff and it's just like oh my god you could go so deep with that like literally I could end up being a Buddhist monk I think <laughs> I love it I love it Lisa yeah yeah I think you could be a Buddhist monk I'm gonna be I'll when I'm older <laughs> I'll just be a disciple I'm all right with 
So before we kind of finish, can you tell us about your other two books? Because you also did another one with Sarah and then you're, you've done one on your own as well. Three on my own, two with Sarah and three on my own. So I've written five oh, altogether. Yeah. I thought it was glass half full and that was it. You could no, no, there's two more after that. Wow. I wrote and wrote and wrote because I couldn't, <laughs> I had so much to say. I was, it's really exciting, isn't it, when you stop drinking and you like come to all these realisations about yourself and I just couldn't stop writing. So now I did five books in three years. <laughs> wow. You, you're busy. <laughs> I don't know how I did it, to be honest, because I couldn't do it now. It was just like stream of consciousness. But um, so, yeah, two with Sarah and then, then it was Glass Half Full, which was my WordPress blog, basically. And then I wrote another one about uh, what was a really long title, How to Lead a Happier, Healthier, Alcohol-Free Life. I think that's the title. <laughs> She's nearly forgetting her own titles. Of and then the last, one, <laughs> the last one was the A to Z of Being the Booze. Which is what it says on the book cover, yeah, just like an A to Z of all the things toolkit, I suppose, of the oh, things. Yeah. I've not seen that one. I'm going to check that out. If you were going to recommend, I know you're going to say, oh, well, maybe you won't, but I would say all of them to a mind because I've got a big ego. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to sort of say to somebody, right, pick up one of my books because that one's going to help you the most. If you're quitting drinking, which would it be? Well, I think the first one, Sober Revolution, just because if you're at the start of, if you're at the start of that journey, for me, the most powerful and effective thing anybody can do at that point is to realise they're not on their own and there's loads of other people going through that because that feeling of it's not just me and it gets rid of all the shame. It make it stops you thinking there's something wrong with you. There's this huge blank, this weight of guilt and self hatred goes as soon as you realise there's millions of other people out there who are lovely, intelligent, nice people who have done the same sort of stuff that you've done. So that book, the feedback I've got from that book is that 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 people when they read it got this huge sense of relief of oh my god thank god it's not just me so that one I would say but then the last one the A to Z of been in the booze is a really practical guide for about all the things that have helped me stay sober so I would say both those two are the most sort of useful I would say I'm going to get you that one. Yeah, I am as well, because I think it will help me. We run um, some sober lounges on a Thursday, so people come. It's a really good support network, really, isn't it? But having something like that will be really helpful, actually. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Because people are always saying, you know, how can I deal with my anxiety? How can I deal with my stress? How can I, yeah. how can I, how can I? And, you know, sometimes it's only what worked for you you can recommend, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you, and you've just got to find that thing, haven't you? But I think there are, like, pillars for me. There are, like, sort of, you know, and then it's how those things work out for you personally. But exercise, it might be that you like yoga, it might be that you like running or yeah. walking the dog, but exercise is a massive one because it's just the way, you know, it's like the endorphins, it's the, it's the little goals and achieving, you know, setting yourself little targets and achieving and what that does for your self-esteem. It's, you know, it's being outside in nature and how that kind of grounds you. So exercise is a massively important thing for me if if you know for anybody who's stopping drinking and and wants to do it long term that for me was crucial writing getting you know working through your thoughts whether it's posting blogs or even just on instagram commenting on you know but just having that writing something down black and white 
gets it, it makes it more concrete, it makes it more real when you start writing things down. So that was a really important thing for me. And connecting with other people who are on your wavelength, hugely important. It really is, isn't it? I mean, I, I always fear for people who are doing this completely on their own and people who don't reach out in whatever way that whether that is a 12-step program yeah and it's and it's again it's different isn't it for everybody but I did it on my own for a year and a half and it was awful you know I basically just didn't go out I just I mean the only thing that got me through that year and a half was running that was that was my kind of savior but you know I didn't make any sober friends there were no sober communities and I wasn't going to go to AA so I did it all on my own and cried Oh, oh. <laughs> you are now, and you've done it honestly. I, I say this in a whole. I, I I have this fear about coming across as being patronising, but honestly, I just think what you've done is amazing, and you really have revolutionised society. Oh. <laughs> thousands upon thousands of women. So honestly, thank you for what you do. Oh, thank you, everybody in sober communities. So can you tell us where everybody can find you, how they can join your group, follow you on Instagram, etc. Yeah, so we're just basically Soberistas, which is S-O-B-E-R-I-S-T-A-S and not Sober Easters. I've heard lots of people looking googly in like Easter, the holiday, Sober <laughs> Easters, <laughs> and not being able to find us. So Soberistas, uh, and that's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we're just at Soberistas on all of those. Um and you can join Soberistas free for a week and so that you can kind of find out what it's about. Uh, and we've always maintained a very low uh, membership fee anyway. So even when, if you do decide to join, it's £14 for three months or £39 for a year, which in today's money is pretty cheap. So, yeah, it's not a big expense. It's certainly if you're spending 300 quid a month on wine like I was <laughs> so yeah we are cheap and um and very friendly and it's soberistas.com and it's been lovely having a fellow northerner on it and there isn't that nice no we don't ever no and I no. bet you don't have been interviewed by northerners because it's either it's either people from down south as much as we love our sober sisters down south it's nice to have a northerner on yeah <laughs> thank you it's been really nice talking to you both thank you for having me oh on. thanks Lucy thanks so much for joining us and we'll hopefully see you soon yeah take care bye, bye. bye. bye.